if y'all are unfamiliar with the way that the United Methodist Church is structured, let me give you this is a really quick breakdown. We are in um, what's referred to, they're, they're, we're broken down into conferences, so we're bro- we, are, we are in the South Georgia Conference, which is basically all the United Methodist Churches from, from Macon South, okay? And from there, the conference is divided into six different districts, and we are in uh, the South Central District, that's, that's every UMC church, um, it, it's a pretty large district, but nonetheless, I think you guys kind of get the idea of what I'm getting at here. But I tell you this because I want to I want to draw something out and tell you about something. Um, every every month or so, our district office sends out a newsletter to us, and it's got it's it's it's, uh, it's it contains events and trainings and all kind of information that are that are kind of relevant to our local churches and uh, South Georgia Conference and um, UMC as a whole. And most of those months, uh, the majority of those months, our district superintendent Paula Lewis, um, Paula's here with us today. Raise your hand, Paula, so everybody knows who you are. Most of those newsletters, Paula will write a letter or a, a, some, kind, some kind of notes uh, of encouragement or something that she feels that God has placed on her mind at the time, and, and they're always really, really good. But I want to read to you the one that she, or part of what she wrote uh, for the April newsletter because it applies to Easter and it applies a lot to what we're going to talk about um, today. It's just a couple sentences, three or four. But she wrote this. There's so much truth in this, uh, pastorally and, and, and otherwise, but she wrote, the danger of the Easter story is that we feel all too familiar with it. So much truth in that statement. Someone asked me if I feel any extra pressure at Easter to preach an evangelistic sermon to try to draw people back. My answer was that I feel pressure on Easter, but it's not to preach a more evangelistic sermon or a sermon that will hook people more in order to get them back. Most pastors feel that pressure every week, and that there's so much truth in that statement. Every week, you guys know that I try my best to give it all to you and, and just to draw, draw everybody into that relationship with Christ and uh, that, that discipleship that, that we seek to become uh, more and more like Jesus in the way that we think and act. But anyway, here's what she says about Easter. Rather, on Easter, I feel the pressure to present the gospel story, the resurrection of our Lord in a new and a fresh way, so that not only will it impact the lives of seekers, those who do not know Jesus, who might be visiting us, but that it might also fall afresh on the ears of those who have heard it all of their life as well. Now, majority of you guys are going to fall into that latter category. Y'all have heard this story. Y'all have sat in these pews for a very long time. And I get what Paul is saying here because it can become just habit. It can just become just something that we do. We all put on our ties and men put on our pink dresses and, and, we, and we show up and we take pictures of all the pretty flowers and all that stuff. And that story should never get stale, though. The Easter story should never, ever get stale. So I understand what Paul is getting at. How do I present that message to y'all, to 95% of you probably who have heard that story for decades? How do I present that story to you guys in a fresh in a new way, a way that excites you, a way that invites you in, a way that opens up your heart. How do I do that as a pastor? Because i got to tell you, church, and I've told you guys this before, Jerry ain't the most creative person in the world. I'm not artistic. I'm not creative. I'm not one of these preachers who can get up here and tell you guys a bunch of stories. I'm not a storyteller at all. That's uh, that's an area where I grossly fall short in my, in my preaching. I just, I just don't tell stories. I'm just not good at it. 
So how do I do this? How do I bring this message afresh to you? I don't have a lot of ideas. I'm not a, I'm not a real out-of-the-box type thinker. I'm pretty good. I'm fairly good at taking other people's ideas and running with them, but that's about it. Answer is, I can't really think of a creative and a fresh way to do this to you guys or for you guys. It's just not, it's just not a part of me. It's not my personality. But what I can tell you is this. What I lack in creativity, I make up for in passion. And that's what I want to give to you today because I am passionate about the gospel. And I think you all know that if you're a, pers a person who belongs here at Bemis. I think everybody will attest to that. I am passionate about the gospel. I am passionate about Jesus. I am passionate about the story of Christ. I am passionate about discipleship. I am passionate about, passionate about growing disciples. I am passionate about telling people about the Jesus that I have come to know and the Jesus that I have come to love. And I am passionate about seeing families and individuals and churches and communities transform into his likeness. So that's what I'm going to try to do to you this morning. I'm just going to try to be Jerry up here. And I'm just going to try to show you through how much I love this story and hope that God will use that in some way, shape, or form if you don't know Jesus to draw him to you. To, if you do know Jesus to draw him back to you. Because that's what Christ is. That's what, Jesus, that's what Easter is all about. It's what the gospel is all about. Talking about Jesus, telling the story of the greatest act of love that has ever been shown to humanity. Ever. You know, we talked um, in our Bible study several weeks ago about this idea of the gospel. What is the gospel? That's a, that's a churchy term that we use a lot. What does it mean when I talk about going out and sharing the gospel with somebody or with a group of people? What does it mean when I stand up here, because I use this phrase a lot, what does it mean when I stand up here and I talk about living the gospel or living out the gospel? The gospel literally translated, literally, that word gospel means good news. So for Christianity, the gospel is basically the good news of Jesus. But here's the thing, the good news of Jesus is expansive. And it affects and it infects every single aspect of our being. At its most basic foundation, though, the gospel is just the story of Jesus. Y'all remember talking about that? Those of y'all who were at the Bible study when we talked about this? At the end of the day, the gospel is just the story of Jesus. It's about his birth. It's about his life. It's about his teachings. It's about his relationship. It's about his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension, and the fact that he's coming back one day to rule over all creation. The story of Jesus' church contains power. And I don't say that lightly, but the story of Christ telling the words, the story of Jesus contains power. It moves people. It convicts people. It draws people to God and it transforms hearts, and it changes lives. The gospel, church, is not. Let me repeat this. The gospel is not a step-by-step -step instruction manual on how to get you into heaven. Although that is certainly part of it, having eternal presence with God. 
That is a small part of what the gospel is. The gospel, and particularly our focus on Easter today, is about the relentless love of God, the relentless love of Jesus, a God that absolutely refuses to give up on us, a God who refuses to give up on his creation. It's about a God who cares so much that he literally manifests himself in the person, the flesh and the blood of Jesus Christ. He cares so much that he came to teach us about who exactly he is, what exactly his character is, what his will is. He teaches about what the kingdom of God looks like, and he teaches us how we can live into that kingdom right here, right now, not after we die, right here, right now. It's about Jesus, God made flesh today. It's about God made flesh. Think about this. Think about and and, and you know, really... Really, on Sunday, we're celebrating the resurrection. What I'm about to tell you is part of the, good, the, uh, the Holy Thursday or the Good Friday story. This the sentence that I'm starting to hear. But I want you all to consider this like you've never considered it before. Because, again, it can get repetitive. We can just make it, we, 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 can, we can forget how glorious this idea actually is, how glorious this act is. God made human in human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ who submits himself to a violent death at the hands of humanity. Submits himself to humanity. Let that sink in. This is literally God, fully God, fully human, the divine. Do y'all think that God could not have saved himself? Jesus, God in human form, submits himself to human authorities to the most violent, the most reprehensible, and the most humiliating death that we can possibly, possibly imagine. That's part of the gospel, and he does it for our sake. It's about Jesus, who through what we celebrate today on Easter, his resurrection defeats the power of sin, he defeats evil, and he makes a path for us to be made righteous, to be made right in the eyes of God. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Romans. He says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't know about y'all, but I used to be a pretty awful person. I'm, I'm getting better. I think. Sandy will, Sandy will tell you one way or the other, I guess. But I used to be a pretty doggone awful person. And I received condemnation. I deserve condemnation. And I can admit that today. That's a hard thing for a lot of us to admit. But I deserve that. But you guess what, folks? I don't have that today. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus, is what Paul writes here. If you're sitting out there and you're, you're struggling, you got some sin in your life, you got a whole lot of guilt and you're carrying around a whole lot of shame. God don't want you to carry that. That's what we're celebrating today. The resurrection. You are made right. You are made perfect in the eyes of God. You are made righteous in the eyes of God. Not because of what you've done, not because of what you haven't done, but because of what we're celebrating today, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you. The gospel, church, the remembrance of Easter is powerful. It's life-giving. It is 
a life-altering story. And it is our call to embrace Jesus, embrace his life, death, resurrection, teachings, all of that. Through every aspect of our life. The early church was passionate about the gospel. They were passionate about telling that story. In most instances that you find in the New Testament, first century Christians brought others into the fold of the church, not through gimmicks, not through promotions, not through catchy sermon titles, certainly not through force and coercion, not by giving people a bullet point presentation. They brought people into the fold of the church by telling the story of Jesus. Simple. Simple. Why? Because those words contain power. People were transformed and they were brought into a relationship with Christ simply by hearing that story. Let me show you an example of that from the, uh, the book of Acts. Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 43. And I'll tell you a little bit about what's going on in this story after we, after we read through it real quick. Acts 10, starting in verse 34, Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. But he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Now here's where he starts telling the story of Jesus. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all those who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. It's the word of God for the people of God. That story there is, is being told by a guy named Peter. Most of y'all have heard of this guy named Peter. He was one of the original disciples, and he was a major leader in the early church. What you may probably don't know is who Peter is telling this story to. This story occurs in the home. Um, what was the guy's name? <laughs> the guy was a Roman centurion. And if you don't know what a Roman centurion, Cornelius, Cornelius was the guy's name. If you don't know what a Roman centurion was, basically... Um, they were major military leaders. They would have, they would have, had a, they would have led a regiment of about 100, um, 100, 100 people. Um, also, what you may or may not know is that culturally speaking, these two, Peter and this guy Cornelius, should not have been hanging around each other whatsoever. Okay, They were natural enemies for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is the fact that the Roman government had just crucified Jesus not too long before this event takes place. So Peter is telling this story at the home of this, of this guy named Cornelius. And the Bible tells us that there, there's a large crowd there. Okay, it doesn't tell us exactly how many people are there. It just says that there is a large crowd. Peter tells this story. Now, what does he not do? He don't dish out a, a, a real catchy sermon title. He doesn't give a bullet point presentation. He doesn't tell them this is how you get into heaven. This is how you avoid going to hell. He tells them the story of Jesus. And it's got power. Let me tell you what happens afterwards in the subsequent verses. 
the subsequent verses, we discover that every person who was in that large crowd, not one person, not two people, not a handful, not a dozen, every single person that heard Peter telling the story of Jesus was convicted by the Holy Spirit and they were baptized into the church on that very same day. The story of Jesus has power, folks. Words carry power. If you don't believe that words carry power, remember what the Bible tells us in the beginning, that God spoke the world into existence. The story of Jesus has power. Individuals, families, churches, entire communities, entire cultures have been shaped and have been transformed through these words. Let me read to you one more thing here. This is one of my favorite examples of what the story of Jesus looks like at its very core. It, to me, this is one of the most succinct, one of the most to-the-point to tellings of the gospel that you can really find in the entire New Testament. And for some reason, there, it's not that, it's not, there's nothing really that special about it, honestly, and it's just a few words. But for some reason, every time I read this, these few verses, I'm convicted. I don't know why. I think it's because there's power in the words. But this is written by the Apostle Paul, and it's, uh, it's in 1 Corinthians 15. If y'all remember anything about Corinthians, you know there's a lot of bad stuff going on at, at the church in Corinth. But anyways, you get towards the end of 1 Corinthians, Paul writes these words. He says, Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preach to you. I want to remind you of the good news that I preach to you. That good news or that gospel which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. By these words, by this good news, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word that I preach to you, otherwise you believed in vain. Now here it is. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. This is it. This is the most important thing that I can possibly tell you. At the foundation of everything you hear about Christ, at the foundation, the core of everything you believe about Christianity, this is the most important thing that I can tell you. This is the gospel that I, trans that I transfer to you guys. First importance. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Here it is. Here's the gospel in about six words. That Christ died for our sins according to scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. There's your gospel, church. And for some reason, every time I read that, my heart is convicted. The story of Jesus is so simple so easy and contains so much doggone power I want to leave y'all with that I want to leave you with, a, with there's two sets of people here today my call to you this morning is to embrace the simple story of Jesus maybe you've never done that before maybe, maybe this is your first time in church maybe, maybe, maybe this is Easter Sunday and you decided to drop in 
I want you to consider these words this morning. I want you to consider that brief little thing that I just told you. That brief little gospel message. I want you to, I want you to, to consider this little story that Peter told at the home of Cornelius that brought so many people into the fold of the church. And I want to implore you to embrace those words. I want to implore you to embrace that story if you've never heard it before. I implore you to listen. I implore you to open up your minds and open up your hearts to the possibilities of what God wants and what God will do in your life. If y'all don't know me, like I said a moment ago, I have not always stood behind a pulpit. I have not always liked churches, and that is putting it grossly minor I avoided churches I avoided anybody who had anything to say about Christ or Jesus for about two decades something happened to me and I heard that story and I heard it I heard it when I was a kid but I heard it again and something happened I don't know how it happened I give God all the credit for it but for some way for some reason some way my heart and my mind were open up to receive that story again and I received it and there was a transformation in my heart which manifested itself eventually into the way that I thought, into the way that I acted to the way that I spoke to people, the way that I felt about people and it's not just me, I'm not bragging on myself, I'm bragging on God it's not just me, I've seen it in the life of my wife I've seen it in the life of friends that I've known over the years, of acquaintances of people who I've just met on the street there is power in that story, church. If you've never received that, I implore you to at least consider the possibilities of what God wants to do for your life. If you've heard that story before, as the vast majority of you have, I want you to hear it again. I want you to receive it afresh. I want you to consider it afresh. One of the things that I pray to God every day, and I'm not, I'm not saying this lightly and I'm not over-exaggerating, I pray to God every day, please do not ever let me lose my passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please do not ever let me lose my passion for loving God and loving others, or at least my pursuit of it. I'm by, by far not perfect at it. But don't let me lose that passion, God, because I know what happens when I lose that. I know what's going to happen if that, if that ever occurs, and I beg him and I pray to him, please don't let me lose that love. Please don't let me lose that pursuit of you. Please don't let me lose that pursuit of love for my neighbor. Please don't let this get stale, God. Please don't let this get old. Don't let it get old, church. If your heart's cold, if it's gotten old to you, if you just dressed up this morning so you can come to Easter Sunday and we'll see you on Christmas, consider it again. Consider this story again. Open up your mind. Open up your heart. All this stuff that we talk about, discipleship, I know some of y'all have experienced because I've seen it, man. And, and it makes me so happy that I see that change, when I see that change occurring in, in the lives of the people in our church because they're opening up their hearts and they're opening up their minds to God. And it's a visible transformation. It's a visible growth that I see on the people in my church. If you're not part of that, look at the faces around you. These are some loving group. This is a loving group of folks. These are some people who love you. These are some people who love their community. And that's because they've embraced that story. And they're living it out. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? Who wouldn't want to be a part of that, man? God, y'all pray for it. Pray with me. Gracious Lord, we thank you for the Easter story, God. We thank you for the entirety of the gospel. We thank you 
that uh, for whatever reason, God, we can't even fathom the fact that you decided to become human, you decided to manifest yourself in, in flesh, and you decided to come down and show us who you were. Not only that, God, you submitted yourself to humanity. That's just an unfathomable act. It's a death, and then you overcame that with resurrection. God, help us to be resurrection people. If there are areas in our lives where we're struggling, resurrect us. If there are areas in our lives where we are falling short, resurrect us. If there are areas in our lives where we need personal, spiritual growth, God, resurrect us. Because we know from Easter, God, we are a resurrection people. If there's anybody here that doesn't know you, I pray that you would draw them to you, Lord, for their good for your kingdom, God. If, if there's people here who have, who have fallen uh, fallen behind in their, in their desire and their pursuit for it, I pray that their hearts would be reignited, that they would be revived, Lord, and that they would seek you and seek your ultimate commands to love God and to love neighbor with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Thank you so much, Lord, for this day that we remember. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.